Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, selfishness, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkadi into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. Blessed is God who has blessed us with all the blessing of the heavens. Today I am in a new, wanted to speak in an unusual format because I wanted to continue the topic of uh, how the Lord is our shepherd. But about a few days ago, this sermon I was seeing the, the sermon I heard again and I thought it to be a very important topic for us today about the cross and that's why we're going to be immersed into this anointed sermon that pastor had spoken 23 years ago but it seems so fresh today and filling and satious for us. But before beginning, I want to share several places of Scripture that are familiar to us already. And knowing that no prophecy in Scripture can be answered by oneself, for prophecy was never brought according to the will of man, but holy men of God had spoken it who were led by the Holy Spirit. And Pastor gives the following definition based on this place of Scripture, that the true will of God was in scripture, was laid out in Scripture, not by the men who were led by the power of their own intellect, but through those who were led by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, interpretations of the will of God belong exclusively to those who are led by the power of the mind of Christ. That's why there where God endows a person with the powers of the fatherhood of God, never this prophecy or this sermon is not going to be carried out by the will of man, but it is going to be a living word that moves today. And this word always is going to be as an aroma of death unto death for some, an aroma of life unto life for some. And who is capable of such things? 
question mark who is capable of such john chapter 1 verse 11 says who received him and his name he gave power to be the children of god and romans 2 7 says those who do not submit to the truth do not obey the truth to them be indignation and wrath Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, verse 16, says, The spiritual judges all things, but no one can judge of him, for who has known the mind of Christ who can judge him? But we have the mind of Christ. Apostle Paul says, We have the mind of Christ. Meaning, we apostles have this living word, this planted word. And this idea is also verified by Apostle James chapter 1 verses 27 therefore laying all aside wickedness and malice in meekness except the implanted word that is capable and able to save your souls that's why we need to set aside the former way of life of the old man growing corrupt in the deceitful lust to renew our thinking so that in meekness we can accept this planted word and we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the new man. Scripture says that by faith Christ will dwell in your hearts. How does Christ dwell in our hearts? He dwells through the obedience of our faith to the faith of God in the words of the messengers of God. And Jesus said, John chapter 6, verse 63. It is a spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Therefore, this sermon that is spoken by pastor is spirit and life, it is living. Because however much you may read it, you always see something new and new and deeper and deeper. That's why when I began to read, I read it long ago, uh, but today it seemed so actual and so fresh, especially when we begin to, on Sundays, to go back and look at brotherly love. Let the Lord open our mind to understanding so that He can uncover those thoughts, those things that are contained in this word. The sermon is called The Voice of the Blood. The Lord, turning to Cain, says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The Lord, turning to Cain, says that the voice of the blood of Abel cries out to him from the ground, but does say does not say what this voice cries about. However, it is perfectly clear that it is cried out for vengeance, because in Revelation it says that the blood under the altar of the saints cries, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell on the earth? Who can spill the blood of the saints under the altar? Question mark. Because the world is foreign to terms like sacrifice and altar and does not understand what this is. The blood of the saints was spilled by other so-called saints who killing thought that they were serving God 
John chapter 16, verse 2, Jesus says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And here we are not talking about the world. We are talking about saints who kill, thinking that in doing so, they are serving God. But how do they kill? And how does this murder occur? And a question arises, what was contained in this voice of Abel? Scripture helps us understand that it is specifically Cain that invited Abel to go out into the field and offer God a mutual sacrifice. Perhaps someone does not agree with this, but this was what happened. During that time, altars were not made of stones, but they were made from the earth. Exodus chapter 20 through 24, and the word of God speaks definitively about this. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, and every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. This means that in the field there was a specific place appointed by God on which Abel and Cain could raise up an altar. And Cain invited Abel to a mutual sacrifice. During this sacrifice, Cain rose up against Abel and killed him. You see, this was a mutual service or mutual sacrifice that he had invited him to. And they worshipped in that place that God had chosen where he placed a remembrance to his name. The blood of Abel was spilled out onto the earth near the altar. And after this, God said to Cain, So now you are cursed from the earth. You see, when the blood was spilled, then God said to Cain, Now you are cursed. Before this, the earth was cursed. But now, when Cain rose up against Abel and killed him, God said, So now you are cursed from the earth. So what is this curse comprised of? God says, when you, when you till the ground, it will no longer bring you fruit. And this curse from the earth came upon him because the earth accepted the blood of Abel. That is why the voice of the blood of Abel cried out to God from the earth. When we talk about blood, we talk about life and the soul. And God says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Genesis 9.5 This means that life is found in the blood, but the blood itself is not life. Life is an eternal category. It cannot stop seizing if the body dies. The life of a person can be found outside his body. Because there where a person's treasure is, there will be his life. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And scripture once again states this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Matthew 6.21 Meaning my life, located in blood, can be found either in God 
or in my wife and children, or in science, or in debauchery and drunkenness, or in me. Jesus also says these words, whoever despises his mother, father, children, his own life, he is not worthy of me and cannot be my disciple. You see, the heart of Abraham was also in his promised son, Jacob, whom he had waited for for so long. The life of Abraham was in Isaac, and that's why it is written that by faith, or by faith Abraham, he brought Isaac as a sacrifice. Having a promise, he brought the one of whom is said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. For he thought that God was strong to raise from the dead. That's why he received his promise. And after this event, after this test, it is written, that he waited and he looked for the city whose maker and builder was God. Life is found in the blood, but it is not tied or not bound by the body. When life leaves the body, it dies. Despite the fact that my life or our life that is located in blood can use vocal cords found in my body as an instrument for communication with God it has its own voice, independent from the body, and can speak with God just as we speak in the body. If in the body we use it as a weapon, then outside the body we no longer use it. We can speak to God without garments as well as with them. Job had said to God, Did you not pour me out like milk, and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and favor, and your care has preserved my spirit. Job chapter 10 verses 10 through 12 As you can see, our spirit is our life, our soul. Sometimes the words soul, spirit, and life are interchangeable terms. And we must not lose sight of this to understand what happened on the field between Cain and Abel. Abel did not disappear. The meaning contained in his name is this, breath, breathing, and this means life. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Therefore, blood is life, it is our identity, it is our I. The blood of Abel, spilled by Cain on the earth, was not just the blood of Abel, because in his blood was the life of God. A person was created according to the image of God, and each person that spills the blood of man encroaches on the sovereignty of God, who is the ruler of life in any body. Our life came from God, and therefore, it cannot fully belong to us. We do not have the right to control our lives at our discretion without tragic and sad consequences. 
When we take life from ourselves or kill someone out of jealousy, like Cain, we encroach on the sovereign rights of the Almighty God. We take life and spill it on the earth. Life can be breath, it can pour out onto the earth, but it does not disappear, and it speaks. And therefore, Pastor then says, I want to speak about the voice of life because saints know little about this. The world uses the expression voice of the blood only in relation to heritages and nationalities. But the Word of God tells us that the voice of the blood will cry out to the Lord. When Jesus sprinkled us with His blood, then the sprinkling of the blood made us and Him one whole. And now my life and the life of God became one life. His blood and my blood, His characteristics and my characteristics are one and the same and received by God from above. Because those that are sprinkled with His blood have a divine life. We know that the life of Cain was also divine. And the name Cain itself means a man from the Lord, a person belonging to God. And the name Abel means breath and life. These are two brothers born according to the image and likeness of Adam, who was created according to the image and likeness of God and belonged firstly to God. Unfortunately, it is often that people rise up against each other and blood is spilled. But killing is not just tied to a physical action. The Word of God tells us that words can kill a person. Apostle Paul showed us that many saints endured shipwreck in faith because words killed them. And God warned that He will seek out our life if we spill it on the earth. Because a life that is not given to God is a life that is spilled onto the earth. I will once again repeat this. And God warned that He will seek out our life if we spill it on the earth. Because a life that is not given to God is a life that is spilled onto the earth. Thinking about these two people, Cain and Abel, we are talking about the carnal and the spiritual, or rather, two people living in us. Of course, there exists the category of carnal and spiritual people that look at life from different positions. The pastor says, but what benefit do we have from studying these two categories? If the most terrifying thing that can happen to a person is that both of these people, the spiritual and carnal man, live in one body, and he will be incapable of distinguishing them in himself and defining the place given to them by God. 
because the carnal man was also created by God, and he also brings a sacrifice to the Lord. A carnal man offering a sacrifice to God will always look at what he is offering. A spiritual person committing this holy act will unchangingly look at the one to whom he is offering this sacrifice. And both of these men are in us. They are warring with one another. An Apostle Paul was once in panic from this enmity, and he wrote, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now, if I do that, or if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. In the flesh of a person, there live and oppose two people, the carnal and spiritual. And if there lived, or in us, lived only one of them in me or in us, let's say the carnal, then I or we would commit lawlessness, would kill other people, commit adultery and drink, would lie and steal, use drugs, and would not feel any kind of discomfort or a tarnished conscience. But when there live, or in us, live two people, and due to my carnal nature I commit a wrongdoing, my spirit begins to languish and suffer. We can say that these are torments of conscience and we will be absolutely right because the conscience is precisely that part of the substance and the essence of a person that is in the spirit of a person and therefore relates to the spiritual person. The problem of conflict between the spiritual and carnal. The problem of conflict between the spiritual and carnal in a person worries each of us. How can we be rid of the carnal man living in us so that we are not dependent on him? Holy Scripture speaking about the sin of murder of brothers, definitively tells us that Abel embodies an image of the spiritual man and Cain, the carnal man. Cain was older and Abel, in a sense, was dependent on him. And so this is the question. How could Abel have lawfully received independence from Cain. You might say that this is easy to do, that it would be necessary for not Abel but Cain to die or to be killed by someone in order to be lawfully freed from dependence on him. You know that due to the sin of a person, the earth was cursed. But having been cursed, it still had a power and the ability to give birth and it continued to bless man. 
the earth is the image of Christ himself because it produces life. The earth is also an image of the death and cross of Christ because on the earth there occurs the process of death and resurrection. It is not the earth that is death, but in this earth, death occurs. The cross is not death, but people die on the cross. Christ, speaking about the process happening on the earth, said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. John chapter 12, verse 24. Christ likened death on the cross to a grain of wheat that fell into the ground and dies in the ground. While the grain is not in the ground, it remains in its natural state. It does not germinate and does not die. But when this grain falls into the ground, the shell which is the body of the grain, disintegrates and the seed dies. Through this death, new life is born from the seed. The replacement for Abel's seed was Seth, whose name means replacement. This was a man born of the Spirit. Abel figuratively represents to us a man born of water. And in order to be born of the Spirit, he had to go through the stage of the cross to die. Let's look at how this happens and turn to the action that is produced by the voice of the blood. In almost all of the sacrifices, the blood was sprinkled on all four sides of the altar, north, south, west, and east. On the northern side, the blood produced separation. On this side, the sacrifice was killed and life exited from the body. We know that the separ we know that the southern side represents the teaching of baptisms, or excuse me, the teaching of on the northern side is the teaching of baptisms, and this triumph for a occur person occurs when he, through faith. That Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Christ, he accepts baptism in water. God always makes a covenant on the southern side. Here, there occurs a rational service during which we sign an agreement with God. The blood that was spilled on the southern side of the altar gives us the legal right to inherit the earth and inherit the promises of God. And let's look at the, what the west side represents. The western side is the power of resurrection. Going back, the southern side represents the doctrine of laying on of hands that contains the functions of the covenant. This is again when we sign an agreement with God. An agreement in which we promise to serve God with a clean conscience. And this lays a responsibility upon a person to call the inexistent as existent.
What is a good conscience? We know that it is a conscience that is cleansed from dead works. The western side is the power of resurrection, and thanks to the blood sprinkled on the western side we have life. Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 6 verses 54. We see that the blood was always life. We can spill it, but it will always remain life. And we have the legal right to take it. The West is the teaching of resurrection, and it is expressed in three functions of birth. Birth from water, birth from the Spirit, and birth to the throne. This is the teaching of resurrection. It is the teaching of resurrection firstly, and it partakes us to the heritage of God or makes us our own to God. And second, it resists the second death in a person. And third, it grows a person into a perfect man into the full measure of the stature of Christ. And the eastern side, is retribution. It is the judgment of God, which will provide retribution, retribution not just for evil acts, but also the good. And all of this will be done by the voice of the blood. The blood spilled on all four sides of the altar will fulfill a specific role. But for the blood to be sprinkled on the four sides of the altar, the sacrifice had to first be pierced. And let us take a look at what the Eastern Satyr presents. It is the doctrine of eternal judgment, and it represents and contains in itself three mutual levels of the will of God. This is the good will, acceptable will, and the perfect will. A knowledge of the will of God is a kind of sacred mystery that is found beyond the limits of our rational capabilities that is called to be made between God and man and between man and God in the dimension of the Spirit through the mutual act in which God and man are poured out into one whole and become one Spirit. And Pastor here says, I want to show how the story of Abel's murder by Cain will help us deal with how to die. And he says, I know that many saints panic from the fact that their spiritual life pours out and leaves. They feel and understand that their old man rises against the spirit and takes authority of them, that their spiritual man is perishing, and they are not in a state to fight this. They have truly died in battle with the old man. They've not overcome him. And this old man also tries to serve God. And pastor says, I am not talking about those cases when the old nature kills us through sin. 
Pastor says, I am talking about those moments when the old nature kills us through religious, through religious poison. Now we see how Cain rose and killed Abel. It is through his cardinal man, through this zealous religious service and worship, through these dead works. Cain did not symbolize the sin of adultery, fornication, drunkenness, lies, and other difficult blemishes. He symbolized service to the living and true God, but without the Spirit and without faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The soul will always strive to do something, and you will feel at one point that you will have no works. The soul will put you in such a position that you will not be able to inherit the kingdom of heaven or salvation because you will not have those works which could justify you before God. God will tell you to do one thing, but your soul will force you to do something else. And finally, we'll put you into a kind of position in which Cain put Abel, meaning it will kill you. This was what Cain had done. He killed Abel. So the dead works of Cain, our uncrucified soul, will kill us. But Abel did not pay attention to works. He looked at God, and that's why his blood began to cry out. You see, Abel did not look at his own works and his own righteousness. He looked at who God is for him and what God has done for him. He looked at the righteousness of God in him. And as it is written in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. In the 24th verse of the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, the Word of God tells us that we have approached to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Here, the blood references to a person and life. The name of Jesus and the word of blood, or the word blood, are written with capital letters. When this blood watered us, we became like God and entered into the life of which the blood is the embodiment. In the book of the Proverbs of Solomon it says, By his knowledge the depths were broken up, and clouds dropped down the dew. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 20. Just like the dew covers the earth, the blood of Jesus sprinkles us. In another place of Holy Scripture, 
And in Isaiah, we find these words. Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness bring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 8. For the earth to give us our sunsets, it is necessary for the clouds above to sprinkle dew, and for the dew to be the dew of the blood of the covenant. For able to receive his fruit, he needed to pay his life for his faith. Therefore, the earth is an image of our body, an image of an altar, an image of the cross of Christ. From it comes the fruit which God receives. And if our soul, our body, and our old nature do not come up on this cross, then it will remain old. Above all, if our new nature does not end up on the cross, it will also not bear fruit. The Holy Spirit wants to show us that on this altar there will be one and the other. The life of a person that is not lost on the cross is a life that is lived in vain. The life of a person that is not lost on the cross is a life that is lived in vain. We will end up on the cross, whether a person wants to or not. At some point, all of the religious people will end up there, but in a different dignity. They will go up down there and the retribution for sin will be death on the cross that is tormenting and eternal. But those who go up there according to the law of God voluntarily will resurrect for eternal justification and an eternal inheritance. Others will also be brought there. Each person and each action God will bring to his just judgment. Whether or not the religious want to hear this, the Lord will call all, believers and unbelievers, and will judge people. This eternal judgment cannot be outrun or changed. This is God's holiness. When Christ died on the cross, together with him died two more men who were crucified, one on one side, the other on the other side. They represented and symbolized all of mankind. The one who accepted Jesus Christ left the cross and accepted the promise of salvation. The one who rejected and reproached Jesus was left forever on the cross which symbolized a curse. Abel ended up on the cross, and Cain helped him with this. 
having committed murder against his brother. God will not do this himself. He uses our old nature for this. And when this happens, Abel dies and then rises in a new name, Seth. But what happens with Cain? There will be complete separation. Now God will say to Cain, what have you done? You are now cursed from the earth. You see, man was not cursed from the earth, but the earth was cursed because of man. Or rather, the earth carried the guilt of man. This tells us that the cross and Christ are symbols of the earth, and the earth carried the guilt of Adam. When Cain spilled the blood of Abel, the earth cursed him. It is written that Cain became cursed from the earth, and the earth would no longer yield its strength when he tilled it. And Cain testifies that the face of the earth and the face of God are one and the same face. Turning to the Lord, he said these words, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. Genesis 4.14 Where then could Cain hide? It is written that he went to the land of Nod. The meaning of the word Nod means a rejected land where there is no face of God, a symbol of eternal torment, a state of eternal and absolute curse. This is also a cross. But on the earth of God that was cursed because of man, God will hear the voice of the blood. And in the land of Nod, which curses, his ear will be closed to the voice of your blood, the voice of your life. You will be an eternal wanderer and vagabond and will share in the devil's portion if you do not subject yourself to the cross. When Enoch arises, his name means dedicated, he will be raptured to God and the throne, which is the third level of birth from above. When Seth the replacement of Abel and reborn spirit of a person departs. Then Enoch will come in his place. So Abel, Seth, and Enoch symbolize the three levels of birth in one person. Birth from water, birth from the spirit, and birth to the throne. And God's goal is to bring a holy person of God to the throne. He wants to rapture him from the earth. God wants us to dedicate ourselves. True dedication is tied to the cross. If you do not die, then you will not bring fruit and cannot satisfy God, because God needs fruit. That is why the voice of my blood and the voice of God becomes one voice. The word of God says, A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, 
and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. So God took and extracted fire from Cain because he, like Abel, was also earth. But this fire destroyed him. But God, Pastor says, but God did not draw fire from me when I myself went to the cross or when we ourselves go to the cross. Then the fire came and devoured me. And God took me to himself and gave me another dignity. The same thing happened with Joseph. He was sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. It was the way of the cross and then the cross, which for Joseph was expressed in life imprisonment in Pharaoh's prison. When you go to the cross, you are a slave. Once on the cross, you become a slave to torment and suffering. and cannot get rid of it. But when Joseph went through all this, he became the Lord of Egypt. He received from the Pharaoh a completely different maid, Zaphnath Paneah, that is, the Savior of the world. And his dignity was completely different the Lord of Egypt. He came there as a slave that became a lifelong prisoner after which he rose up as Lord of Egypt, was sown in contempt, rose in glory. As long as the curse is in the body, we need to make painful efforts to keep ourselves in the holiness and love of God. There are people who erroneously separate such concepts as holiness of God and love of God. But these are inseparable. If you take away the holiness of God, there will be no love left. Take away the love of God and there will be no holiness. Because to keep oneself in holiness is to keep oneself in love. It is impossible to distinguish between these concepts and give them a different meaning. We cannot assume that the love of God rewards us while His holiness punishes us. The characteristics of God are presented to us in unity. And if He reveals Himself to us for knowledge, we should not pick out individual features of the Godhead and consider them independently of other characteristics. God saves us, but He also judges and punishes people. He is a just God and will judge in righteousness. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the earth. He says to Cain, Our blood cries out to God, cries out for revenge, because if there is no revenge, there will be no retribution. 
There are people who say, but we should not revenge. Correct? We do not have to take revenge. This is the function and role of God Himself. He will do it for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Based on this passage, some people, without examining scripture on this issue, mistakenly conclude that God himself will take revenge on their enemies without their personable, personal participation. And pastor says, no, we must make a covenant with God with our lips. But these will not be simple words. Cain knew the right words, but he didn't have faith. His motives were wrong. Abel had everything, both words and faith. And it became clear when they offered their sacrifices to God. None of us knows how the Lord looks at us. But when you make a sacrifice to Him, you can know this by whether your sacrifice is accepted or not. If God looks upon you, on us, then your sacrifice will be accepted by Him. According to Scripture, God looks down on humble people who rely not on their own works, but on the works of the Lord, on those people who do not boast either of their sufferings for the faith or of their holy life, or of righteous deeds. A true righteous man, like a farmer, never looks back at the furrow, at his deeds, and never judges them himself, but allows God to do this and looks at him. At one time confirming this, Jesus stated, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. When you look only at Jesus, the lawyers don't notice your deeds, but such people do not even see Christ because they look at the works that could go before them. However, in this world, there is a certain category of holy people who, like Abel, look not at what they do, but at the one for whom they do it. These are people of faith who have the mark of the cross on them, who consciously and voluntarily underwent circumcision not made by hands. Only they can see Christ, and only in them can Christ be seen. It is they who will see that your work is a work of faith. The world needs Christ, needs Christ more than ever. Today, many saints are like the Hellenes who want to see Jesus. But Christ can be shown to them only by those people who endured the cross, people whose faith comes first. And Pastor says, I know that preaching about the cross among the so-called Jews and Greeks or Hellenes will not bring me or you success. 
As soon as you accept the doctrine of the cross into your heart, without even confessing it yet, you will feel a satanic grin in your life, depression and illness, all sorts of troubles with relatives and friends. On this occasion, Christ said, I have to bring not peace, but a sword. He meant the cross. The sword is a word about the cross. It is something that curses everything that does not meet the standards and norms of God's holiness. But this sword curses for one person to bless later so that we are born from the Spirit. God came to separate a man from his father, from his mother, from his wife, from his children. He came to separate a man from his life. This is the sword, this is the cross, this is division. Jesus said that whoever does not leave all this and endure the cross will not be worthy of him. It is very easy to preach grace without a cross, that grace that turns into a pretext for debauchery, pride, conceit, arrogance. But when you preach the true grace of God, there is a cross there that puts its mark, its mark, and you do not think about yourself. No matter what spiritual height God puts you on, you will not think of yourself. Guardians of the letter or the law communicating with you proceed from what position you occupy. If you're just an ordinary church member, they won't even talk to you. They only talk with people they consider equal in importance. But we definitely need to know that what looks insignificant in the eyes of such people in the eyes of God is considered and looks significant and sublime. The giants of God are those faithful people who take their place in His body. They will be given a great reward. Giants are not those who gain the whole world and look at what they do. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Matthew 16, 26. What profit or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, even if I, my whole belongings, and give up my body to be burned, but have not love, then there is no benefit in this. Speaking about love, the Word of God refers to the holy love, for the love of God isn't always a holy love. People under the word holy want to understand pure and nothing else. But the word holy, although it includes the word pure, in fact is greater than this, and it includes the transcendent purity and holy purity. This holiness of God will destroy all evil. It does not stop at devouring the wicked whoever you may be. God did not stop at devouring cherubim and Adam. Adam did not have as many sins as we have. Thousands of years have passed, and we have carried 
the sins upon us of many generations, sins that have entered into our life through the vain life of our fathers. Adam had one sin. Although him and Eve had sinned, their souls remained trembling and sad in the eyes of God. God had mercy on them and they served him, not sinning any longer. Nowhere was it said that Adam and Eve sinned again. They communicated with God and they taught their children how to correctly serve God and to offer Him a sacrifice. The Lord continued to talk with Adam and Eve. God looked upon His creation, created Him according to His image and likeness. Do you then think that he is going to be sorrowful over this mankind that is filled with the most terrifying kind of sins that are contain envy, pride, hatred. These are the spiritual blemishes that devour and eat up the body of Christ. God looks upon our faith that represents presents to him who you are for him today. But people look at your works. If you were alcoholics or not, if you stole or not, if you were drug addicts or not, and so forth. God needs for you to look at people with faith and do not think about what people did on the second and third day and do not turn to look at their works. Why do you need yesterday? Yesterday I could have been Saul who persecuted the church, but today I can be Paul and build up the Church of Christ. Remember, love and the mercy of God are expressed only in relation to those who repent in the humble. God magnifies and lifts them up, for it is written, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 The faithful will not perish, and all those who have not accepted the blood of Christ, pastor says, they need to repent. The blood outside of the cross does not have any value, no benefit. What will be if you spill this blood not on the cross, not on the place where it must be spilled? God will still at one point bring you to this cross. The cross is a symbol of punishment, is a symbol and punishment, and it is God's table where He receives His food. There He punishes, but there He also gives life. From there, He lifts up His people. And when, having endured all three states of the cross, expressed in three baptisms, and when we begin to meet the standards and norms of holiness, the Holy Spirit will produce this division and will say to us, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Genesis chapter 21, verse 10. Why? Because Isaac was on the altar, Isaac was on the cross, and Ishmael was not on the cross. 
They were both circumcised, and both, as if had the mark of the cross. But Ishmael only had an outward or a superficial circumcision. But Isaac was truly laid up on the altar. The knife was lifted up over him. Isaac truly carried the fire and the wood for himself. He voluntarily went to the sacrifice. Isaac did not resist when his father tied him up in order to bring him as a sacrifice. This was a humble and obedient child. So we must not look at this as a historical event, but we must see this. We must see something greater. We, like Isaac, must go up and be the sacrifice on the cross so that our blood can spill on the cross. And we must not resist when the Father ties us to bring us as a sacrifice. To give ourselves to be tied is to admit our will, our thinking to our Father, so that we have one heart and one soul. In Acts it is written, Many of the believers had one heart and one soul. Why? Because it said that they dwelled in the teaching of the apostles, in communication with one another in the breaking of the bread. When Isaac found out that God had chosen him as a sacrifice, when he found out about this, he said, Praise God. When you find out that God accepts you, do you cry or sorrow? Do not be sorrowful when your flesh dies, because the body is only a garment. Your spirit remains living. And when Isaac found out about this, that God wants to make him a sacrifice, he rejoiced. All of the different kinds of poets about uh, poems, what Sarah felt, how Abraham's feet had trembled, do not tell us what was happening in fact. Abraham's feet did not stumble when he was doing this act. Why? Because Abraham was a man of faith. The Word of God tells us that he wholly believed that God would resurrect Isaac from the dead. And Abraham knew that he is fulfilling the will of the Almighty God, whom he loved and to whom he dedicated himself. That is why in Scripture there can't be these kind of sentimental strokes. There is simply written, and both of them went on quietly, silently. The father and son quietly ascended up on the mountain. Abraham tied his son, like any sacrifice was tied up, and he lifted up his knife over him. And God stopped him and took the sacrifice. This is how God, testing our faith in him, with the ability to sacrifice ourselves for him, will show that the sacrifice will be different. The sacrifice will be Christ. Look upon Him. Whatever we may do, at the end, we would not satisfy Him with the works that we have done. He is satisfied only by the sacrifice of His Son and the voice of His blood. Remember Joseph. 
how he was laid up on the altar. This altar was the pit in which his brothers threw him. But the father was not satisfied by the blood of Joseph, but the blood of the goat that was brought. This goat offering was often brought as a sacrifice for the genetic sin. Christ was this goat, a sacrifice for sin. The other one was the goat, the devil, on whom the sin was then laid. Only after the multicolored garments of Joseph were covered with the blood of the goat, God had restored him as ruler over Egypt. Today the Holy Spirit promises to us all that each of us, having endured the cross, will become the ruler of Egypt. This means that we are going to rule over our lusts and our, and we will be able to control ourselves and rule over ourselves. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Many people today are in horror over themselves. And pastor says, calm down. As soon as the cross fulfills its work, you will be brought out of the prison and you will be restored as rulers over Egypt. But even today, God remains with you. You are sorrowful and suffering. You desire to be rid of your old man. The pastor again says, calm down. Remain there where the Lord wants to see you. Remain there where the Lord wants to see you. God leads this work on the cross. Or we can say, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. And we will pray. May the Lord bless us in our prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this place, this place on which you dwell, which your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you for this place that you have chosen, where we are able to worship, to serve, and to bring our sacrifices to you. We thank you for your presence, for your mercy, for your truth, which you have demonstrated and shown us. 
We thank you for the cross where you open and show to us how we ought to die, how we ought to be rid of our old man. Because whoever wants to save his soul, he will lose it. And whoever loses his soul on the cross will gain it. We thank you. We thank you for this word, living and moving, that produces the separation, that pierces to the separation of the soul and spirit. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that through your preached word, you teach, you instruct us upon every truth so that we can come to this fullness, to this perfection, so that we can grow this fruit in ourselves. Because if we do not die, then we will not bring fruit. May your name be glorified and magnified, your holy name, your word. We bow down, praise you and thank you for this great mercy that is shown to us They have uncovered for us this narrow path, these green pastures, we thank you. We thank you for our pastor and apostle, for his healing and restoration, and for that word that you want to give us in order to prepare. In order to prepare your bride, your church, to rapture her. We thank you, Lord, for this word that we had, for this instruction. Allow us to understand and comprehend even more and greater that which you uncover through your anointed spoken word. We thank you for this word, and we worship before you our Almighty God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory and unblemished joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.